Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. middle of a series called The Table. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know um, The Table is the place in which we come and we do life together. Is, uh, it's where we, we have conversations, where we grow, it's where we connect. And one of the goals as a church is to get people around tables. Uh, it looks different for different people in different seasons, but uh, right now we just had a, a ton of people. I, I got to go see them over in the um, CLC. They were gathered around tables during nine o'clock service at, for Rooted. Um, we have classes, we have different groups that you're a part of, and so that's what it looks like to be at the table. Now, uh, last week we talked about the purpose of the table. It's not just to gather, but there's a meal that we want to partake in. We come to get nourishment. And so we talked about Jesus claiming to be the bread of life and how he spiritually feeds us. And today we're going to be talking about the different seats at the table. Is everybody has a seat at the table. So uh, here's what we did. Is this table right here is actually kind of a, a replica of the table at my parents' house. When all the family gets together, this is what our table looks like. Um, everybody has a very specific seat, but we didn't do this on purpose. Um, my brother-in-law, Matt, actually noticed one day that um, we didn't assign seats, and yet everybody knows where they're supposed to sit. And it's based upon either your maturity level or your roles and responsibilities. So here's what this looks like. Um, right here, this seat, this is for the guests. And so recently, the last couple um, uh, lunches that we've had, we've had uh, either people from out of town, we've had friends, we've had family that came over to be a part of our big uh, dinner. And so this is where they would sit. This is the guest seat. And you're going to realize that the guest seat is where it is because it is the only seat at the entire table that is not next to a child. <laughs> you get to be... Uh, kind of away from the chaos a little bit. Okay, so then next to the, the guest seat, um, we have Nana's seat. And so Nana's seat is actually the one that's closest to the kitchen because she's always running back and forth and she's always got something going on. And then next to her is my daughter, Sienna. And Sienna wants to sit next to Nana because they're homies. And so wherever Nana goes, Sienna goes. And then next to her, we have uh, Auntie Cece. Auntie Cece is next to Sienna because they're also homies, but because they now have a baby at, uh, named Noel, nine months old, and so she sits right here. So Uncle Matt got to move out of the high chair, and now um, we have Noel there. This one is where my dad sits. He gets to sit at the head of the table. And uh, here is where Ezra sits. He is my second child, and Ezra always wants to be where Papa is. Okay, so Ezra, wherever Papa is, then Ezra is going to sit there. And then Ezra likes to sit in between Papa, and this is where Uncle sits. And then here is where my youngest, Jed, sits. And he has to be sandwiched in between two adults because he's out of his mind. His mom sits right here, and she eats with one hand and holds him with the other hand. He's like a bird that will just fly away if you let him go. And so she has to always keep track of him. And then I get to sit in, in this seat right here. And this is a fairly new seat for me in the last few years because um, once I started having kids, um, I, I kind of get to sit at the, the head of the table and, um, and then Nana has taken over because this used to be Nana's seat when I was a kid. But now Nana wants to sit by the grandkids. And so I get to sit at the other head. So that's where I'm going to sit today, actually. I'm going to sit right here because this is kind of my spot. Um, and like, like our family dinners, I think that the church has... I'll, I'll put, is this better if I push this in for you guys? Is that... Worse? 
Is it better? Worse? Not, it's not so good. You can see me better. Is that the problem? You'd rather not? Okay. All right. Um, I think the church is a lot like this table, is everybody has a seat at the table. And where you sit at the table is really uh, dependent upon your maturity level and your roles and responsibilities. And so uh, let's, let's start with the guest seat here. When we say that everybody is welcome at the table, we mean it, is that you don't have to be, believe in any of the things that we believe in. We, you, you can come here and you can be hungover from last night and you can just be like, you know what? I'm not even sure if there is a God and we don't care what your lifestyle is. You are welcome at the table. Everybody gets a seat here. And, and we, don't just, um, we don't just mean like everybody who's sort of like us. We mean like everybody. So if I think back to over the years at Seacoast, one of the things that I remember is when Seacoast first began, we used to have what we would call newcomers lunches. And newcomers lunches, because the church was really small at the time, um, we would, over uh, about a six-week period, we would invite people over to our house after church. We'd give them our address, and then everybody could come and hang out at our dinner table and get to know us, and we could get to know them. And uh, since we were, uh, you know, just a block away from the beach, uh, we had the most interesting people show up at our table. Is we had people who would be considered the all-American family living by the water, and then you had uh, addicts and prostitutes and homeless people looking for a free meal. I mean, you had everybody around this table. And, and that's kind of what, that's the kind of church that we want to be, is we want to be a church in which everyone is welcome to the table. And we're not going to ask anything from you. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to change your lifestyle. You're welcome at the table. Big open door. Now, our prayer is that eventually um, you don't just continue to sit in the guest seat. We want you to, to move to the next seat. Oh, by the way, a funny story. Uh, I was thinking about some of the earliest friendships that I made when we were starting the church. And one of them was a kid who uh, they were new to the church. And so we got to know them. And over a few uh, weeks and months, um, we became closer. And eventually I went over and I played at his house. And I didn't realize what his stepmom did for a living uh, until I saw the magazine posters on the walls. And let's just say you had to be over 18 to buy the magazines that she was a part of. And I thought, okay, everybody's at the table. You know, everybody's welcome at the table. Now, we, we don't want you to just stay there, of course. We're, our prayer is that eventually um, you'll decide, I want to be a part of this family. I want to follow Jesus. I want to call this church my home. And so when that happens is you move to the next seat. And so um, in, the, in, the, in the book of 1 John, Chapter 2, one of Jesus' uh, disciples, John, he writes about three classifications of Christian maturity. He says there's children, there's young men, and there's fathers. And so roughly what he's saying is there, there's new believers, there's children, there's the adolescent believer, and then there's the mature, more adult believer. And I think that the, the same thing happens around the table. And so we, we start down there with the high chair. The high chair is like the baby believer, the brand new Christian, somebody who has just decided to follow Jesus. See, down, down there, the job of the person in the high chair, the baby in the high chair, is just simply to grow and mature. That's all we want from them. We're not asking them to really bring much to the table. They're just a joy in the fact that they are here. And so we just want to bring them around. We want them to mature. We want to invest in them. We want to feed them. We want to nurture them. And we want them to just continue to grow. And all we ask is that they just do that. They move to the next seat. 
And so what does it look like to mature? Well, maybe it's just take that next step in your faith journey. Maybe it's okay, you know, I've come to Jesus and so now I want to get baptized or I want to be in a rooted group or I'm going to join a class or I'm going to do the daily devotionals with us. Whatever it looks like, you're just continuing to look for what is that next source of nutrients that I can have in my life. That's what your job is as a brand new believer. And it's not just good for, for you. It's actually good for the rest of us. Those of us who have been at church for a while, like I've been at church my entire life. I love being around people who are brand new to the faith because they just bring a, a joy and excitement into your life. So, um, you know, as you get older, maybe you've experienced this, is you can get a little bit cynical and, and jaded and grumpy. You know, kind of the, the excitement of life wears off and you start to become a little bit cynical. And the same thing happens in your faith. As you're around church for long enough, you just go, okay, okay I've been there, done that, seen it before. But as you, as you start to get around people who are brand new to the faith, you're reminded, oh, I remember what it felt like to be in that seat. The excitement, everything was new, everything was fresh. I remember experiencing God's love for the first time, like being in that seat. And so one of the important things is for those of us who have been around this table for a while is to make sure we're around some new believers, people who are brand new to the faith. I always um, said that if you want to enjoy the magic of Christmas as an adult, you got to be around a bunch of kids. Because like when you're a kid, there's just, oh, it's so fun. We all look forward to Christmas. There's just magic that happens. And then you get a little older and you go, consumerism, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm way too mature for that. <laughs> and then you become a, a parent and you go, ah, Christmas, I can't wait. Because your kids, you get to see it through their eyes. Same thing is true as believers, is we try to get ourselves around um, some, some new believers. Now, there's a warning here is you can't stay in that seat. That seat is for a season. It's not for a lifetime. It is eventually you have to move beyond being a baby believer because kind of at the core of the Christian faith is we're trying to become more like Christ. And to become more like Christ is gonna mean that we're gonna progress. We're going to mature in our faith. And so as a definition of our faith, spiritual maturity is a part of it. It's one of our central goals. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says uh, in 5.11, he says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here's what he's saying is, you've been around for a long time. You've been saying that you've been a Christian for, for, for a while now, and yet you're still sitting in the high chair. You're still struggling with the elementary beliefs and practices of the Christian faith. You still don't live this life, something that you, you know what you should be doing, and yet you're simply not doing it. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of, um, of action, uh, author and pastor told a story I read this week, and um, he says, one of our church members recently shared with me, says, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. So here's the image. You have an adult that is in diapers with a binky drinking out of a bottle. You should be mature by now. You look like, maybe even from the outside, that you're a mature Christian, and yet you're still just eating out of a bottle. 
You haven't actually matured. There's a a syndrome that psychologists have identified, and they call it the Peter Pan syndrome. It's adults who refuse to grow up. Emotionally, relationally, um, they just continue to act like children. There's a closely uh, related concept, and they call it being adults. Adults who continue to live and act as kids. I think that our society um, not only struggles with adults, but I think churches. I think this church, we have a lot of adults around. A lot of people that have been around the church for a long time have been claiming to be Christ followers and yet still acting like they're brand new to the faith. Maybe not in their knowledge. They may have been consuming for a long time and they got this big old Bible baby belly kind of thing where they're just consuming and consuming and consuming and yet they've never actually grown up to do anything with all that nutrition. They just keep getting bigger and more bloated. See, uh, nobody wants to admit that they're adults. But let's just do a little test. Let's see if maybe you or, or I are adults. Let me give you a couple questions. First question is this. Do you contribute more than you consume? So the baby at the table consumes. That's all that they do. They just keep consuming. They don't contribute a whole lot. And so one of the ways that you can tell if you've become a mature believer or you're maturing in your faith is are you consuming or are you contributing? And it could be your time, your talents, your money, but do you give more than you take? All right, another question. Uh, can you feed yourself? So Doyle made fun of those people last week, and we don't really have them anymore. I think um, Doyle ran them off. But people who used to say, uh, you know, I'm just not being fed here. I'm just not being fed. You know what that, that means? What you think it means is you're not deep enough to be able to feed me spiritually. But what that really says is I'm so immature, I don't know how to feed myself. I need you to do the airplane and just, oh, there you go, little buddy. One of the marks of maturity is, can you feed yourself spiritually or not? Now, if you're a brand new believer, we don't, I get it. That's what we're here to do. We're here to teach you the ways, how to to eventually feed yourself. But if you consider yourself a more mature Christian, you've been around for a while, if you can't feed yourself, it might be an indication you're a adult. Uh Uh-oh, I heard that. Okay. (laughs) Do you keep making messes and refuse to take responsibility for them? So uh, eventually kids get to this age I don't know if it's all kids or it was just my kids, where they would just throw their plate on the ground and then just look at you like, so you're going to clean that up or what? They just make messes all the time. And they look at other people and go, you're going to clean that up, right? Because what happens is when, when when you're an infant, you don't take responsibility for your actions. You make messes all over the place and you just expect somebody else to clean them up. I think this happens in our spiritual and relational life as well is we just keep making messes and then we look around and go, well, it's their fault. Well, why aren't you guys doing more about this? Oh, you're a little baby? You need us to clean up your mess? You got a dirty diaper? Yeah? Oh, this is getting too close to home for some people. Do all you see that right there? It's getting cold up here. Yeah, it's getting cold at 1045. Thought they had an extra hour of sleep. I guess not. Okay, how about this one? Oh, uh, one of Doyle's sayings is he says, uh, I don't know where you got this from, but you become an adult when you stop blaming your parents. He tells me this all the time. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> He's telling me this. Um, but it's about ownership. It's about responsibility. Yeah, maybe, maybe things are unfair. Maybe the, the world isn't how it's supposed to be. But maturity is, what do I need to own in this? All right, another question. Um, are you easily upset? Are you emotionally, spiritually unstable? So infants are a roller coaster of emotions. 
I mean, they'll be crying and laughing and crying and laughing all in the same minute. It's just, they can't even control their emotions and how they respond to circumstances. And I see some Christians like this. Is if you're if your peace and your joy is dependent upon the next election, what happens with the economy, how things are going at work, how somebody responded to you and you felt slighted, if, if your joy and peace is dependent upon those things, it's probably a good indicator that you're not very mature. Because as mature believers, what we're supposed to be is, is have joy and peace in all circumstances. And so if we seem to be easily swayed by our circumstances, it, it might be because we're adults. Here's what the uh, author of Hebrews says as his conclusion. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. So here's what he says. Grow up. <laughs> I know, right? You think you're waiting for something profound. He says, uh, so here's how you're going to mature. Uh, grow up. Stop being so immature. Do something about it. Move beyond the basics of your faith. So once you do, you're going to move from the high chair to the adolescence chair. So I have one that's officially in this stage, Sienna. She's 10 years old, and uh, she acts like she's 25. And here's the big difference when they move from being children to being more the adolescents at the table. They begin to contribute. They bring something to the table. So whenever we're going to have a big family meal, Sienna will go over to Nana's house before everybody gets there, and she'll help cook, and she'll help bake, and she'll help set the table, and she gets, because as she has grown up, um, she is beginning to have uh, responsibilities and expected to contribute at the table. And you know what's great? When she does this, it's not just about cooking and baking and all that kind of, no, 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 that's, a, that's just a side thing. What's really happening is she's going and she's spending time with Nana, and Nana is more mature than her spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And so as she's spending time with Nana, Nana is teaching her, hey, here's what it looks like to become a young lady. And they'll talk about the big questions of life. And my, my mom will come to me and say, hey, do you know that Sienna is experiencing X, Y, and Z? And I'll go, I had no idea. Well, if you bake with her, you would know these things. <laughs> okay. And it gives my mom an opportunity to invest in my daughter and guide her and answer her questions. See, she's growing as she's beginning to contribute. She's also unlearning some things. When she's around her peers, she can get away with certain stuff. But when she's around Nana, someone who's a little bit more mature than her, they're gonna, she's going to have to start acting like a grown-up. No, 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 we don't do that. Uh-uh, you know better than that. Come on, we have responsibilities. We've got to get some stuff done. We don't, we don't act like that. We're not childish. And she does it in a loving way, but she's starting to learn. Okay, here's what it looks like for me to grow up. Same thing happens as believers. As we begin to contribute something to the table, we just don't consume all the time, but we actually step up and we bring something to the table. It gives us the opportunity to be around other believers who might be more mature than us, and they can start investing in us. They can start telling us, here's what it looks like to follow the Lord. Hey, hey here's kind of a next step for you. Here's a place in your life that you, you can mature a little bit. And they also help us unlearn some things. Because the truth is, when you become a Christian, you are forgiven from everything that you've ever done. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to still experience the consequences of your sin here on earth. It doesn't mean that once you become a Christian, all of your emotional and relational baggage just goes away like that. No, no, no. Now you have the tools to deal with it. You have the Holy Spirit and you have a community of believers. But you still got to unpack those bags. 
And so you begin to unlearn those patterns and those behaviors as you contribute and you find a community of believers to belong to. Now there's another warning for this stage. Just like with the high chair, there's some dangers. Just like being an adolescent at the table, there's some dangers as well. This is the age in which, or the, the, the growth stage, in which you are most tempted to walk away from the table. To think that everybody else at the table knows less than you do. That you somehow have it all figured out. Because what happens is, as you start to have responsibilities and and the honeymoon phase is over and maybe some of the false expectations and uh, you are are revealed and you see the true cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what's going to happen is, is you're going to start to maybe doubt, maybe decide if this is still the table that you want to be a part of. God may even put you in some circumstances that you're not going to like. And he does it in order to grow your faith, to mature you. And so you're going to experience some uncomfortable moments, maybe even some pain, and you're going to go, God, why are you allowing this to happen right now? And the answer is because he wants you to grow. But he's not going to do what he did before. When you were brand new and you were a baby Christian, what he might do is he might soothe you. He might tell you it's going to be okay. He, he, he might send you some blessings your way and affirm you in your decision. And that's great. You need that. You're growing. But if he wants you to stand on your own two feet and really trust him, you know what he's going to do? He's going to do the same thing I do with my eight-year-old who throws big fits and cries. I don't go and go, buddy, I know you want candy for dinner, but you can't have it today, bud. I don't do that. I do grow up. You're eight. Get off the floor. Stop crying. Why? Well, because I want him to mature. It's not that I don't love him any less than when he was in his high chair. I still love, but I know that he needs to move past that now. God will do the same thing with us. He'll go, no, 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 no. I know you don't get it. I know you don't understand, but you're going to have to make a decision. The decision is, do you want to walk away from the table or do you want to trust me? Do you want to trust that I know best? That even when you can't see it, even when it doesn't make sense and you don't understand, do you trust me? And if we decide that we trust him when we stay at the table, we'll continue to grow. Then we get to the final set of chairs, which is the more mature adults at the table. And this is what all Christians should be striving for, is all of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, whether we're brand new, whether we've been doing this for a long time, all of us should be striving for spiritual maturity. That's like the goal that we all should be um, aiming for. Philippians 3.12 says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, in this life, you're never going to realize full maturity. It's going to be an ongoing process. But what you need to do is every day, you want to you wake up and say, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to know him and I want to reflect him to the rest of the world a little bit more than I did yesterday. I, I want to be the adult at the table. I'm not okay with being in the high chair or being an adolescent. I am striving to become one of the adults at the table. And so, what does this look like? First thing is, adults, they gather at the table. So um, none of this happens. The table doesn't happen unless the adults make it happen. The kids aren't going to make it happen. The guests aren't going to make it happen. It's really the adults getting together and saying, we're going to get at the table and we're going to get a bunch of people around the table with us. My son Jed, who uh, I said has to be um, sandwiched between two adults. The reason is because if you don't do that, he will last about 30 seconds at the table. 
Like every meal, it is him fighting to get up and just, I don't know what he's doing. Laps, that's what he's doing. He's doing laps around the table, around the living room. There's something shiny over there he needs to go see. I mean, it is just, he, it's constant. I think that that is a, a, a great metaphor for many young and immature believers is they see something over there and they go, oh, ooh, that's nice. Or there's something else that they'd rather participate in. Well, you know, I got sports and uh, football season and I've, this is when I can golf and this is when I can. And what they do is they push away from the table, they run around, chase some things, and then they'll drop back in, have a quick bite spiritually, and then they're out again, just like Jed does. And I think if, if that's where you're at, where you're here every few weeks and you haven't really found a community to invest in it, it might be a sign that you're still a adult spiritually. Because adults, what they do is they, they get to the table, they bring other people, and then they, they stay. They're consistent. They stay in their seats at the table. They also set the spiritual and emotional and relational temperature at the table. If you let the kids dictate what happens at the table, it's going to be a disaster. Can you imagine? All right, so what do you guys want to do? Throw food? Let's do it. You know, this is fantastic. What do you think? We're, this is a hook or Peter Pan? No. The, the adults help set the, the mood, the temperature of the table. So no, 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 we don't, we don't do that. We don't act like that. No, you know, we don't use those words. And not only do they maintain the temperature of the younger ones, but they kind of, they kind of level up the conversation. So one of the jobs of my dad or, or me is to pray, to set the spiritual temperature of the table. And then maybe we'll throw out a question of the day. Hey, what are you most thankful for this week? What did God do? We do these things called God stories. What are you looking forward to in this next year? Because we know that it's our response. This starts to get out of whack. It's because we have let it. And so we are going to set the temperature of the table. Adults also invite the guests. In Luke 14, um, Jesus tells this parable of a man who is throwing a, a giant party. And when it's finally time for all of his guests to come, he sends out one of his servants. And they go and they tell all the guests, hey, everything's ready. And one by one, each of them make an excuse. Oh, sorry, I got a previous engagement and there's a family thing going on. I'm going on a business trip. Schedule's pretty busy right now. And each of them respond that they're not gonna show up. So the servant goes back to, um, to the host and says, hey, nobody can come. Everybody said no. Here's what Jesus says. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and to the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, part of our responsibility as adults at the table is we come to the table, we get fed, and then we push away from the table and use that nutrients to go and to bring guests to the table. And so what Jesus says here is he says, look, I want my table to be full. There's plenty of food for everybody. There's plenty of space for everybody. And yeah, you're going to go out there and you're going to invite people. I've invited so many people. Why don't you come to church? And it's, you know, they make all their excuses. Okay, no big deal. Always an open invitation. But I'm going to go find somebody who's going to come to the table. Because there's people who are hungry out there that are spiritually dying. And so I'm going to do everything I can to bring them to the table. See, it's our job to make sure that these seats are full. 
It's also our job to prepare and to serve. So uh, growing up, my mom would have these church dinners at our house, and I learned very quickly that for the three days before these dinners, I needed to avoid my mother. I mean, she was whew, on one. House was, had to be dialed in. She had to get the, the table set. The food had to be ready. She was in preparation mode because she wanted, when these guests to arrive, she wanted them to have an amazing time. And it was all the way through the night, making sure everybody was good. And here's what happens is because the adults know that they need to provide for the guests, they step up and they get ready. We see this all the time. We come in today. The moment you enter into our campus, there's people preparing and, and ready to serve. From parking lots to the doors, to the kids building, to teaching, to youth. To, there's hundreds of people who are getting ready, not just on the weekend, but during the week. Because they want people who are coming to the table to just enjoy themselves and feel like they're a part of our family. And also we are expected to give. So in my home, um, I only eat a fraction of the food and yet I pay for 100% of it. And so if you've ever gone out to eat with somebody, I'm saying maybe after this, you and a friend are gonna go out to a restaurant and have a meal. There's always this weird dance that happens at the end of the meal, right? where they put the check down and you both go, no, no, let me get it. No, 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 let me get it. No, no, you got the last one. I'll get this one. No, 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 come on, let me take care of this. Even if you get invited to somebody's house for dinner, what is your first question that you ask? What can I bring? What do you want me to bring? Because somehow we know that as adults, we're supposed to bring something to the table. Except when it comes to church. It's like alligator arms everywhere when it comes to church. Everybody's like, oh no, man, somebody picks up the tab here. There's like a lot of people who walk out on the check at the table. They expect somebody else is going to pick it up. And that's okay if, if you're a brand new believer or if you're just a guest. I get that. But if you're someone who considers themselves a Christian and walking with the Lord for a while, this may be an indication you're not as far along as you hope to be. And so we have to bring something to the table. We have to start contributing. The reason why Jesus spoke about money so much is because, um, I believe because he understood that money was gonna be one of those things that would either stunt or mature your faith. Like it was one of the top things that was gonna either keep you from growing or was gonna help you grow. So if you wanna become spiritually mature, you've gotta learn to give. And not just give, but like give sacrificially. Like give so much so that you have to change your lifestyle because you give away so much. Like you can't do certain things because your life is so full of giving. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says, here's a good indicator, a good test. Because we can say that we love Jesus and we worship Jesus. He's our number one. We trust him with our eternity you know, that's, that's just, you talk is cheap. If you really want to know, look at where you spend your money. Because we can say all of those things. Just like I can say to my wife, oh, you're the number one priority. I love you. You're so, and I continue to miss date night because I'm at work. She's going to begin to doubt. Am I really that important to you? Same is true of our faith as we can say you're number one. I trust you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. But the money it's still mine. So what does that say? I think it's a pretty good indicator. He continues on in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So now he kind of ups it and he says, not only does it reveal your heart, you can only truly love one thing. Like there is only going to be one top spot in your life. And for many of us, the top spot is either God or money. And so which one is it? Don't just say that God is number one. You got to show them that it's number one. And some of you guys are right now thinking, ugh, I knew it. I knew it. I should have known. Money and sex. Those are the two things God wants me to give up. No, no. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, I do want to be the top spot in your life. I do want to be the first priority. And I don't want you to just say it. I want you to show me. And for many of us, the thing that is keeping us from making him the top spot is letting go of our finances. So I didn't say this in the previous services, but it's funny. Think about money. Money is just numbers on a paper. It's dollar bills with dead presidents. And yet it is so emotional for us. Why is it so emotional? Why do we pull back so much? Why do we white knuckle it so much? Because it's not just money. It's a pseudo savior. We think it's going to do what only Jesus can do. And so what he says is, give it away. If you want to change your heart, not only is money a reflection of what you love, but it is also the way that you can change what you love. So if you want to change what you love, if you really want Jesus to be the top spot, then give your money away. Give it away. Just like I would prove to Amy, you know what, you are so important, I'll quit that job if you want me to. You want to really love Jesus first, it's probably going to begin with your finances. Then he makes us a promise. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. Now, listen to this part. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here's what it's saying is um, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you emotionally, financially, relationally, and definitely spiritually. But the thing that is standing in the way of God blessing you is you. Paul elaborates and he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not out of regret or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying is, God wants to bless you. God wants to give you so much, but he's only going to give you to the amount that you're willing to give. So if you give sparingly, God's going to bless you sparingly. If you give generously, God's going to bless you generously. The only thing that's standing in the way of you and God's blessing is you. Now, you might be thinking, if you're familiar with kind of uh, some theology, you might think, well, are you like preaching prosperity gospel up there? You know, like if I give, then I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying if you give, God will bless you. I don't know how. I don't know what that'll look like. I had somebody come to me this week um, after Rooted and said, you know, I'm really struggling and I've been struggling with the, the finance thing and that's, this is a stronghold for me and I, I, I want to give it away, but I just, oh, I, I'm, I'm anxious. And I said, well, what if, what if God's blessing in your life was if you would give and you would be generous, he won't give you any more money. In fact, you will always be broke because he knows you couldn't handle it. What if the blessing is you're broke, but you're at peace about it? What if he never gives you any more money and yet you continue to give, but you're at peace. You go, ooh, that would be worth it. I go, well, then why don't you try it? 
why don't you actually see if what he's saying is true? You trust him with eternity, trust him with your finances. Whenever I go through a difficult time growing up, my dad would ask me two questions. Are you praying and are you giving? Which I would think, what is, okay, praying, that makes sense, but like giving, what does that have to do with these relational issues that I have right now? And what he was asking is, Cody, are you blessable or not? Are you blessable? Because if you're not doing what God called you to do, you're not going to be blessable. And God will want to bless you, and yet you're holding back on him, and so he's going to have to hold back for you. So are you living a blessable life or not? Or is there something that is blocking you from your blessings? See, the, the adults at the table, we understand that we are supposed to be contributors, not consumers. And the final one is this, is uh, we know how to feed ourselves, is you can't give what you don't have. You can't constantly be contributing if you don't have something to contribute, which means that you have to consume as well. It means that you've got to be doing those spiritual disciplines that we talk about. You actually have to know God. You have to be in a relationship with him. You have to be praying, studying the scriptures, practicing silence, solitude, fasting, worship, that you actually have to be filled up in order to pour out. So the season that we're in right now is kind of exciting because we've been talking about this campaign and we've been talking about the future of Seacoast. And, and what you may not know is um, it's not just Doyle and I who did. There's hundreds of people and there's even a campaign committee that has been helping guide this uh, campaign and has been planning and investing in this with their time and their resources. And so I wanted you to not only get to know them, but kind of hear a little bit of their story. So watch this. I'm Shane Igo. Been attending Seacoast for 14 years. Well, we're uh, John and Bonnie Pete, and we've been uh, attending the church since 1988. Hi, my name is Bobby Cunningham. I've been coming to Seacoast for about 10 years. My name is Scott Gilmore. Uh, my wife Cindy and I have been attending Seacoast for, I think, about 20 years now. A little background I'm fortunate to have grown up in a Christian home, so I uh, saw parents who every month would give 10% of their income back to the church. So I grew up in a home seeing that experience. Uh, when Cindy and I first got married, she didn't really have that background. So I had to do some talking and convincing of her that uh, we were going to be giving 10% of our income to whatever church we attended. I think that giving has never been really that natural for me. They used to pass the buckets around here every Sunday and I would just pull whatever cash I had out of my wallet and uh, throw it in the buckets. And my wife and I, we felt like, you know, God had blessed us in so many ways, but yet, you know, we were still just giving like the minimum amount. So I'm, I'm Dutch and so I am excessively cheap. And I remember I wouldn't get a new pillow in college because I just didn't want to spend the $10 for it. And then once you have your first real paycheck to, to make that your first priority is really, is a difficult thing to do. Shortly after uh, we joined the church, the capital campaign began to build this campus, the campus that we're on today, and we were invited to participate in that capital campaign. There was a couple sermons that were about giving, and uh, it was weighing on my wife and I, really more my wife. She came and said, hey, God's blessing us with all of these gifts, you know, we really, really need to start giving back, and, you know, we prayed about it, and, um, you know, it started weighing on my heart a lot more, and so uh, we did. We started giving a lot more. Especially I remember for the campaign for the kids building um, that 
we were looking at it and it was in a time where we didn't have a ton of free cash. And Aud and I went and we prayed about it and it was a challenging thing, but we were able to come together and write a check and say, this is, this is what we feel God is calling us to. As we watched our small contribution combined with everybody else's contribution, take what was a patch of dirt on the corner here mm -hmm. and create this beautiful campus and just seeing how God has used those donations and that and that investment to build his kingdom that was God just saying trust me trust me with your money and watch what I do with it the the biggest reason why um, why my family and I are going to give for this give to the CLC is because this is a place where we want our kids to grow up in. We want it to be a place where um, they can get to know Jesus. My thought is that regardless of where we are in our stage of life, age-wise, or our stage of our Christian walk, that we all have a responsibility and a part to play in giving for the development of the ministry at Seacoast. When I came to Seacoast, there was already a great campus here uh, that people had provided for long before we started, but we've been blessed to be able to continue to partner along and develop the building we're in now, uh, fitting out the, the children's building, starting the CLC. And as many of you know, there's more to come. <laughs> there's going to be things down the road five, 10 years from now. And I just look forward to being here and Cindy and I being here and being blessed by those who came before us and blessing those who will come after us. I would encourage everyone to participate. You know, we don't need a few people making large donations to the campaign, we want to encourage everyone to invest so that you have a sense of ownership and you feel the, the pride, I guess you could say, of I'm part of this and I'm part of building God's kingdom. We have a plan on paper of what we think the future is going to look like, but we just need to trust God to take yeah. the resources that we provide and, and execute his plan. As John said, is, is it doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be a commitment, you right. know, of what your commitment is to this church, for your family, for your kids, and it, it'll reap benefits in the future. What I'd recommend for people is to pray about it and to see, you know, am I uncomfortable? Am I acting weird? Is somebody going to look at my finances and say, this is not what normal people do? Our inheritance comes from the Lord. We are children of God, and we can see other people around us as part of our family and worthy of investing in it. We can trust God with forever. We can trust God with right now. So uh, it's interesting watching the video. They were pretty calm on the video, but I've heard the two older guys there uh, tell their story in person, and both of them cried when they told their story. And here's why. Because they started when they were young. Their investment was minor in terms of actual numbers, but major in terms of personal commitment. And now they've been through several of these. They've seen a campus built. They've seen thousands of people come to faith, and they were a part of it. You see, we have an opportunity in life to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. What, what do they say? You can't take it with you? But I want to remind you, you can send it on ahead as you invest in those who you'll be, spend eternity with in heaven. And so uh, this talk, is, it's always funny to me because I know that there's some people sitting here going, I knew it, they're after my money. I just need you to know, if you gave $100 million, it wouldn't increase my salary or his. We'd build a really nice uh, school building. But anyway, we, that's a different thing. The reality is it's about your spiritual walk. It's about your faith. We do these because it helps you grow.
because it, it kind of defeats that greed thing that is, is, is so inculcated into us that we need to learn to care about things above ourselves, beyond ourselves, things that last for eternity. And so it's an opportunity to step into this with faith. And, and the way Connie and I do is we don't, we don't sit down and go, okay, here's our budget. Here's what we can afford to give. No, we say, God, what should we give? We, we pull out the pledge card. We already wrote, wrote ours. And we say, we're going to give that. Now, we don't know how we're going to give it. We know that we're going to have to, you know, skip some meals out, maybe maybe a vacation or two or whatever. It's, it's going to cost us a bit. And a new car, whatever. We're not going to buy a new car. That kind of stuff. But it's okay. Because every time we've done this, we just feel like God blesses us. And so I want you to understand this is a spiritual issue, not a money issue. Uh, God's got all the money he needs. Uh, you just got to let go of some of it, okay? So... Let me tell you a couple things. One is, I was thinking about this, and so the kids started out there, and now they're moving. Uh, one has moved here, one has moved there, one has moved there. Life is a journey, and even the tables we sit at and, and the position we sit at is a journey. And so one thing I'd ask you to do is think about where you're at today. If you're non, not a Christian, you're just here checking it out. I want you to even hear how we deal with money, okay? I want you to hear it because I believe God has provided all that we need and will provide all that we need. And if he wants me to move some of it out of my wallet into somebody else's wallet or to the church, I can trust him. I want you to hear that. If you're over here, I just want you to take a baby step of faith. I just want you to say, okay, what's something I could do? Because for us, the big number is not the five million we're trying to raise. The big number is how many people will take a step of faith. How many of us will just kind of take a step? And for some of you, it's just like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to just do the minimum. Those guys on the thing, several of them, their gifts were tiny at the beginning, but it's okay. It's the beginning of the journey of faith. If you're, if you're here and, and you've been a Christian for a while and, uh, and you, you haven't taken that step of faith of making a promise to, of, of committing, then maybe you need to sit at one of the adult chairs and step it up. I was thinking about all the tables I've sat at over the years. I remember as a child, someone, I remember in our church, as a child, someone prayed for me. I don't know who it was. In heaven, I'll remember who they are and I'll thank them. But I remember they prayed over me and the prayer was that someday I would do exactly what I'm doing. I remember that to this day. I remember them praying for me at a table like this. I can't remember who they were. And as a teenager, I tried to run away from it. Uh, but I am doing what they prayed because they invested in me. They, they begin, I remember the young adult leaders. I remember, I remember people, I remember the boss I worked for for many years before I became a senior pastor, sitting at the conference table. That was the table we sat at, learning so much. You see, you've sat at a lot of tables in your life. A lot of people have invested in you. Most of them will never reap the harvest of having invested in you. And yet they did, and it was worth it. I want you to, by the way, on your way out, there's, a, there's some boards out there. I want you to pick out a few of the, uh, momentous things that have happened for you while you're at this church. Maybe you just started coming. Write on a sticker, say, I just started coming this month. Put it on there on the timeline out there. Maybe you, you had a baby dedicated here at the church. Write that on there. I just want you to remember that we're on this journey and the tables we sit at on the journey determine the outcome for us and for the people we're sitting with. And so we're doing this thing you haven't heard about it. We're trying to raise money to, to finish up uh, the, the CLC for our small groups uh, to meet in. We can have a thousand people in small groups at a time. Uh, we want to finish that up because we really feel like that's super important. That's where the tables happen. That's where people, you're not sitting around a table right now. You're facing forward. We need people around tables in order to 
experience transformation. We're also starting a school, and that's a year, uh, next 2023, August 2023, K through sixth grade, and we're trying to fund uh, the seed money for that as well. And so we want you to pray about it, think about it. There'll be an information meeting after this in the CLC about 10 minutes after we close. Come on over. I think they've got some refreshments, and Cody and I'll give a little presentation, brief, very brief, and then you can ask questions if you want. So um, how does this work? Next week, we're going to collect pledge cards and or gifts. And uh, there's envelopes. There's some in the seat back in front of you. Uh, and if you want one of these brochures, you can get them on your way out. We're going to give in two, well, several ways. One, some people give stocks and stuff like that. For those of us who just give out a regular check, which is I'm going to do, I'm going to just fill out a pledge card. And monthly, I'm going to give a donation and, uh, and, and just pay my pledge off over the next three years. And then some people will give cash. Uh, write a check, something like that. Uh, some will do both. The reason we ask you to do the pledge card, we're never going to bug you. We're never going to give you grief about it. Uh, we will never even even yeah, call you or anything. Uh, it just helps us know. We know from history that when people do a pledge card, they fulfill it almost always. Uh, that's the kind of church we have. That's not true in every church. It's true in this church. And that helps us know when and, uh, to start construction and how much we're going to have to spend because we don't go into debt So uh, on this kind of stuff. So fill out a pledge card. Turn it in next week. Next week, we're going to have a great time. We're going to get together. We're going to have uh, great food. They're starting to cook at 2 in the morning, they said. Uh, for the food. It's going to be really fun. Uh, we're going to have a great party out there. We're just going to rejoice and have a great time of, uh, in our regular service. And, and so I want you to be here for that. And for, um, bring a pledge card and or an envelope and be a part of it. Even if it's, even if it's, you know, this isn't much. Remember, there's a whole lot of talk about the, the, the uh, sacrifice, the amount of sacrifice, not the amount of money, right? And so somebody could give $200. It's really tough. Somebody could give $200,000 and not even phase them. It's about just God, what do you want me to do? And just doing it. And it's a step of faith and growth for you. And so the last thing I'll tell you about is that we have uh, on Wednesday night, uh, this Wednesday, a, uh, we have a worship night. We're just going to come together and worship and, and praise and sing. And we're going to do some, we have a little teaching moment there. But we have something else we're going to do. And I, I don't know if we've ever done it like this. It's, it's a little moment of contemplation and interaction with God that we're going to encourage you to do. So it's Wednesday night, be here. It's a one hour service. And, uh, and by the way, you're going to need it after the elections anyway, one way or another, you're going to be exhausted. So come be renewed. Remember God's in control and uh, we're going to have a great time. So let's stand together and let us, let me pray for you before you leave. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. You're so good to us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for caring for us. Like our parent would care for us. Even if it's hard things we have to do, even if it's something new we need to learn, you teach us to step out in faith and to trust you. And you always come through. We never know that we can depend on you until we're in a place where we need to. And sometimes we need to step in those, those faith places so we can learn to depend on you. I pray that everyone in this room today will take time to talk to you about what their response should be to this message, to this campaign, to what you're teaching them and where you want to take them. And Lord God, help us to be obedient. And as we do that, you will cause us to grow up in the faith. And we will be impactful people in our world, in our family, in our marriages. We thank you for loving us that much. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank Cody for this message one last time? I don't know where he went, but he was here. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.